playing overrated, underrated, properly rated here on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm JP Chunga. No, no, just kidding. We are not. We are not going to be playing that. But we are going to be talking about Hollinger and his underrated players of the league, because it included a jazz man, and it got me thinking. So I want to get into a little bit of that. And Kendra Andrews, NBC Sports Bay Area. She covers the Warriors. Earlier in the season, she was over at The Athletic covering the Nuggets. So Utah doing the Kendra double over this stretch ahead of the postseason, ahead of seeding battles with the Phoenix Suns. We'll talk to her. But the podcast brought to you by Bailey's Moving and Storage. We move you every step of the way, near or far, big or small. That's Bailey's Moving and Storage. So Hollinger puts up this piece up at The Athletic. Encourage you to read it. He's one of those NBA writers you have to keep a tabs on. Tim McMahon's Joe Ingles drop earlier this week. Great. But Hollinger puts out this piece. Rudy Gobert, Drew Holiday, top John Hollinger's NBA all-underrated team. And he goes into how difficult it is to parse whether a player's underrated, what what are we talking about when we think about underrated. But ultimately, when this sort of discussion comes around a jazz player, I feel like we go the opposite direction and we go a little bit too wild to where we all of a sudden have to discuss what is Rudy Gobert's odds to making the Hall of Fame. And I'm sorry Call me crazy, I want to enjoy this year's Hall of Fame class first before we start prognosticating on a player who's in his prime and still playing. I want to just enjoy his play on the floor. And then maybe later we could talk about his Hall of Fame status. But it's it's too much of the, how's his legacy? What is his legacy? That rings coverage 2010 edition that would lead first take that I just do not find in any way fascinating. So the way that I see it and and the way that it ought to be approached in general discussion and figuring out is Rudy underrated? What's going on here? Why is he underrated? It's completely understandable where Hollinger's coming from in seeing how things dominate national television when you watch the jazz on ESPN or TNT one of their big games, and the lead is Donovan Mitchell. And of course, if you're a Utah fan, that makes sense. Donovan's great, but it's not as easy to describe what Rudy does. And this week was exactly what you saw from Rudy, what he does. He had that moment against the Spurs where three San Antonio players have chances to challenge him at the rim, and they immediately dribble right out and that's the Gobert scare they don't even want to challenge him and you can see Rudy in the clip nodding his head exactly what he is defensive player of the year we already gave him the defensive player of the year uh, earlier season with how well that he was playing during the Jazz's big run but this week was another indicator his floor for the way that he plays is just so high And it elevates the Jazz to such a point that he can clearly be distinguished as a top 15 player, an all-NBA type of player. This underappreciated deal also links with what happened earlier this week 
with Mahoney, Kevin O'Connor, and the Ringer having their top 25 players of the league. And Rudy's at 18. So is he underappreciated? Is he underrated? Are they rating him properly? It comes from how decorated is he amongst his peers. And to me, it seems a lot like the way that we form those bonds in college, college alumni. Just talking about this the other day. I go to Syracuse. I'm still hearing from Syracuse as I'm not in there. I just got a letter from my college, which was fun, because mail, you know? (laughs) They're sending me mail. They're giving me calls. Any 315 area code, I know that's from Syracuse. They're still trying to keep that bond, keep that connection. Give us some money! (laughs) As a gift! We want a gift! But only if it's money! I found this peculiar. So what are the connections in the NBA? People with shared backgrounds, you go to the literally the same college, the Kentucky guys all cape up for the Kentucky guys. You see the bonds of a Devin Booker and a Carl Anthony Towns. That's a very simple one to see. And then the other one, on top of that, is who's in your agency group? CAA, who's in the Donovan Mitchell connection? It's Kyle Kuzma, that's why they're buds on and off the floor. They have that connection with each other. And then on top of that, having those shoe deal connections. Trey Young and Donovan, both being Adidas guys. Rudy has his guys. They're in his group, but they're also the foreign players. They recognize his game because they have that connection to him. So it's a little difficult for others to maybe see that. It's clear to the people that have League Pass, watch the game, Zach Lowe, Hollinger, Sirit Sohi, that they notice what Rudy does. Even if you are just parachuting the game, you know about Rudy. You understand what he's all about. You get that he's impactful. Take five seconds to check out stats, metrics, and you can see that Rudy's right there. Just look up ESPN's real plus minus, and Rudy's third behind Steph and LeBron. It's one of the better nerd stats that you can look up and see impact for things across the league. Many of the names that are at the top are the ones that you're familiar with. It's one of the truer ones and one of the better advanced analytic stats that you hear when you're talking to other people, which is the one that you lend on. It's the real plus minus. He's right up there in the top echelon of players this year. He'd probably be a second, third team All-NBA guy. And you can make the argument that he's second because of how impactful that he's been this entire year and he's been available. Ultimately, the conversation is about respect. One day, some of the kids from the neighborhood carried my mother's groceries all the way home. You know why? It was out of respect. And Rudy has that. From the coaches naming him to the All-Star team, from media naming him to two third-team All-NBAs, and then one second team, and then another one after this year. And then on top of that, two-time defensive player of the year, on his way to a third. Rudy has the respect of people that I respect, and you should respect, and that should be enough. Bet you didn't think I could get in Syracuse in a Rudy Gobert conversation. Well, I did. Before we get to Kendra, got a lot of cool things planned, playoff run, Make sure others are listening to the podcast. 
Five stars, nice reviews, that's all I ask of you. Share it with somebody. Find a way to get this to another person so that they can listen to this jazz conversation and things concerning this team because we're in the stretch run, folks. It's coming down the postseason. We're going to be covering it with pods all over the place. So stay tuned. Kendra Andrews of NBC Sports Bay Area. She interned here, Salt Lake Tribune. She knows a little bit of the landscape, what's going on in the league, having covered the Nuggets for the Athletic earlier this season, now in the Bay, her home. We got into that team. They're going to be one of the squads that might be in that playing scenario as the Jazz are figuring out their top seeding with the Suns back and forth and back and forth. And again, Jazz still have much easier schedule than what Phoenix has. Phoenix still has the Knicks, Lakers, Blazers, Warriors, and then the Spurs twice where they could potentially be fighting for their playoff lives as well. Not that they're a terribly impressive team, but they aren't in the tank watch 2021. Jazz, on the other hand, they have the Nuggets tonight, Warriors, Blazers, but then rounded out with Thunder and, and Kings, two teams that won't be making the playoffs, and then the Rockets on Saturday that are at the very bottom of the standings and are not in contention for seeding. So it's still in the Jazz's favor right now. And Golden State might be their first-round opponent. So I wanted to hear a little bit about that, what she got covering the Nuggets and Jokic, and an outside perspective on the Jazz. Phenomenal reporter at NBC Sports Bay Area. Please enjoy your conversation as we start out with one thing that I've been obsessed with this entire season. Ever since Utah and Golden State faced off earlier in the year, it's the Zoom press conferences. I'll explain. We started there here on Round Ball Roundup. When it comes time to move, it's always a hassle. Loading everything in the truck, hoping the priceless antique from your mother doesn't break, and trying to juggle the kids and dog in the middle of it all is enough to drive anyone crazy. But it doesn't have to be that way. The friendly, background-checked movers at Bailey's Moving and Storage have the expertise to move your family across town or even around the world. So when it's time to move, think Bailey's Moving and Storage. Call today at 801-218-2640 or check them out online at baileysallied.com. the Warriors press conferences since they played the Jazz in January. <laughs> and for people who haven't been in the, the Zoom press conferences, usually it's a it's like how you do your job. You, you got a big Zoom, you're in gallery view, you raise your hand to talk to the person who's giving their press conference. No, 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 say the Warriors. Raymond Ritter, <laughs> Raymond Ritter, the legendary PR man for them, he comes up, he says, questions for Coach Kerr, and it's just... At the lunch table, somebody needs to dominate the conversation and you jump in with your questions. Yeah. How do you see them? What has been your perspective of the way that the Warriors do things as opposed to other teams? Yeah. In the Double RPR likes to keep things a little interesting, I think. Um, you know, it hasn't it hasn't been bad. Um, it's it's different, you know, coming from the nuggets where it was raise your hand, they'll call on you. I think that there are definitely some benefits of doing it like that, especially over Zoom where you can't necessarily see anyone. You can't quite tell what people's intentions are in terms of wanting a question or not. Um, but at the same time, I think 
having it kind of just be this popcorn free for all does allow for things to be a little bit more conversational, which I think is really important, especially in this time of Zoom. Follow-up questions are so much easier. If someone asks a question and then Coach Kerr's response sparks a question in you, it's easy to just jump in and say, following up on whatever he said or she said, XYZ. And, and sometimes in the raise hands, it can be like 10 questions later. And it's like, remember when you talked about that five minutes ago? Well, let's, let's circle back there. Um, but I also think it, it, you know, the Warriors media group, we all respect Great group. each other. Yeah. I, Great think, group. I think that's one of the reasons why it works is because we all respect each other. Everyone understands that we all want to get our own and everyone has a job to do. Um, and, and so we, we do, you know, if two people are talking over each other, usually it's a, you know, no, you go ahead. And then people just know, okay, well, they let, let Kendra go. So I'll, he's going to slip in right after Kendra, different things like that. Um, but you definitely, I mean, when I first came on this beat and saw it was like that, I was like, oh my gosh, okay. You really <laughs> like jazz yourself up, get ready for the question, get ready. And then when you hear a half second of silence it's like okay unmute jump in <laughs> ask my question <laughs> so you gotta get in there quick because really somebody do. will jump in as well 100 percent. you really have to jump in quick um but it's 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 not bad once you get used to it it, it feels more calm than maybe it appears to be if you're if you're in there for the first time i absolutely agree with the conversational tone that those Warriors press conferences have. Zoom already seems a little impersonal. Yeah. You're detached. It's not the same as being in the locker room and actually talking to someone, physically seeing them there. The Zoom popcorn style that the Warriors do, it should be replicated because <laughs> it has a, a psychology to it of when you jump in, like you said, you're amping yourself up for this question that you're going to ask. It's, I'm sorry, I'm obsessed with the way that they do press conferences. Well, it's funny because actually the um, the president of the, the uh, what is, I've got, I'm gonna get the acronym wrong, but like the NBA Basketball Writers Association mm -hmm. president after, he covered a Warriors game against the team that he covers. Um, he sent out an email to all of us saying, I noticed that you guys do this popcorn style press conference, which isn't the league format. Do you want me to say something to Raymond or do you want it to, to be the same? And we all voted and we said, no, just leave it as it is. We, we like it how it is. <laughs> Where are you in, in the popcorn style? Where are you? first question do you try to sneak in a little bit later what, what's your approach i usually think i try and get like the the three to four spot um the great kareth burke who's my co-worker at nbc sports she usually leads us off um we we were i was just telling her the other day like she does such a great job of if there's awkward silence of no one really has a question for this player no one maybe we don't feel that the that's the appropriate first question for some reason she always does a good job of leading the group off um and then I try and get like the two three four spot get the guys rolling a little bit kind of see what mood they're in if they're if they're feeling short fused or if they're giving longer explanations um that's that's kind of how I I usually play but then uh, every once in a while I'll go first if there's like real dead silence or I have a question that's like I need to ask this question and I want to be the one to ask this question, um, then maybe I'll go first. 
I like that. It's almost as if the Warriors press corps is, has adopted the Kerr flow in their in their <laughs> answering questions, following where the conversation goes. I like that. How has it been? Change it up beats. You were with the Nuggets uh, at the Athletic, following that team. Now covering the Warriors, hometown team. You, you're from around there. How's it been? It's been good. I mean, it's what a weird time. Uh, to switch beats. And I have to say, I feel actually very fortunate to have had this opportunity because you look at the job landscape, just, you know, not even in our industry, but just across the States, you know, how, how the pandemic has just completely rattled businesses and, and has forced so many companies to lay people off. And I have friends from, from college who were part of the class of 2020 and stuff who were trying to get into this industry and and in just jobs in general, as I was saying it, and they're having a really hard time just because the opportunities are not as there because so many people have to cut back. And I was given this great opportunity of moving forward and presented with another, another great job, you know, in my hometown, covering a team that I grew up watching. The process was definitely interesting though, just in terms of shifting gears in the middle of the season, because I left the athletic in January, like mid-January. So by then the season was a little less than a month in, I'd say. Yeah, because they started just before Christmas. Um, and getting acclimated, especially when everything's remote, was was hard. And it was in that I was extra grateful and thankful that this was a team that I had already been familiar with. You know, I over the couple of years before coming here, I wasn't following the Warriors as closely just because I was busy with the Nuggets or with school and stuff, but I still had a, you know, an understanding of what was going on with them. Obviously growing up watching them, I knew the history of the team. And I think that really helped me. Um, I don't know if it would have been as easy of a transition if I knew absolutely nothing about the team I was covering, or I was telling you before we came on, knowing no one where I was moving. I'm lucky to have my family here who I can hang out with and like one friend from high school, <laughs> but it's been great. And, and, you know, I, I really do think that the Warriors and the Nuggets are just two of the, they're such great run teams, you know, everyone there and here is just so, so amazing. And, and when I was you know, deciding to take this job or not, I was kind of doing a list of like, okay, who are the people I'm going to be working with, like team wise, right? Because you sometimes you hear stories about teams or coaches or players who are just super difficult to work with, or they, they aren't, they're not rude, but they're just, they don't talk a lot. Maybe they're kind of boring. What are the coaches kind of short? And I was just running through the personnel who I'd be working with. And first it was Raymond Ritter, who is, you know, there's a reason why he won all those communication awards. The king, the Amazing. king of PR. And then you kind of go down this list of, I was working with Michael Malone, and then I'd be working with Steve Kerr, who I think are two of the greatest coaches to just talk to. You know, they always give you such good, thoughtful insight. And then you run down the players. Okay, am I going to cover Nikola Jokic, who's now making an MVP bid? Or is it going to be Steph Curry, who's won the MVP and arguably could be, you know, said to be in the MVP race this season. Am I going to be covering Jamal Murray and MPJ, two rising stars, or do I want to cover James Wiseman, who was the number two overall pick? You know, it was, it was such a good problem to have. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it was definitely an interesting move um, given the times. 
And what a year to make it because Jokic making his MVP run. Steph has this insane April where he's hitting threes at a at a clip he hasn't even hit before, yeah. and he's one of the best shooters in NBA history. You're coming into a spot where this team is at a, a real interesting fork in the road. And earlier on in the year, we talked to Logan Murdoch. Where this team is at and trying to thread that needle of having the old guard of Draymond, Steph, and then integrating uh, Kelly Oubre, who down with injury, Wiseman down with injury, and trying to get into the playoffs and navigating those those points. Where are they in that navigation, and how can it lend itself to a play-in scenario, which is what it looks like for their postseason success? I think that they're still navigating that, um, but they have found some success, and it's been and it has been hard because of those injuries that you mentioned, plus guys in and out of the health and safety protocols. I think when people look back at James Wiseman's season, that's one thing that not everyone, but some some doubters or haters like to say, oh, he never, he was never consistent or he was never that good. And it's like, well, yeah, because the kid missed training camp, then he sprained his wrist, then he had to be in COVID protocols, and then he injured himself this way. Like he never, the, the team never had a chance to even figure out uh, how to help him be successful. And they found it a little bit right before he tore his meniscus. Um, but they have, they have found some things here, you know, and that are going to help them I, in, in the next couple of years, you know, Juan Toscano Anderson has had just an absolute breakout season for them. Jordan Poole as well. Michael Mulder has stepped up of late. And, and those are guys that the Warriors wanted to develop. And, and now they've been forced to more because of those injuries, but it's actually helped them because it's helped uh, narrow that gap between development succeeding now and succeeding in the future. And, you know, I mean, the Warriors need, they need to make it past the play-in games um, to, to call this season a success and to not have to really look in the mirror and say, what, what do we do? Because they're probably going to finish with a 500 record. They're probably going to go 36 and 36 on the season, knowing them. Um, and, you know, miss the playoffs once, which they did last year. Okay. Chalk it up to it just being what a weird year between COVID and the injuries they face, but miss it twice coming off of that dynastic run there. I would assume that they would have to kind of be a little bit harder on themselves and say, okay, what do we need to change? Because, something isn't working. And, and if it didn't work this season, nothing's going to just flip in the next, you know, three, four months before, before next season starts. Um, but it, and it is a tricky balance, right? Because you, you, you know that you have Clay Thompson coming back, who's obviously such a huge part of this team. And you have Steph Curry, who's in clearly still in his prime and probably has a lot, like a couple years left of him being in his prime. And Draymond Green has, taking it to a new level, but then you do have these young guys and, and these kind of, but like floater guys in the middle who aren't developing, but they're not like established veterans. Like where do they fit into this mix? Um, but, but, but from the last couple months and seeing how Jordan Poole and JTA have come along, I think it's narrowed that gap of being successful now and in the future. What is the peak for this team? projecting out because it might be a team that the Jazz face in the playoffs? They have the correct foundational pieces, I believe. And I, and we've seen it here and there. The issue has been they haven't been able to put it together consistently, or it feels that when 
Steph is going off. No one else is when everyone else is going off. I mean, Steph maybe isn't quiet, but they're not getting production from other places when their offense is clicking. Maybe they're lagging a little bit more on defense or some games they just grind it out on defense, but they're not hitting shots the same way. But we've seen a couple times what this team can be like. I mean, they have beaten some of the best teams in the league. They beat the Bucs. They beat the Lakers. They beat the Clippers. They beat the Nuggets two times. So this Warriors team has the pieces And what it's really about, and I think we saw it a little bit the other night, are the Thunder not as good of a team? Yes. But we saw what can happen when Steph goes off for 30 plus points and they have, I think it was like seven other guys scoring double digits. And that just elevates them so much, obviously. But that's something that they they struggled to do. Um, But yeah, I mean, when you when you look back at how they beat the Nuggets and the Lakers and the Clippers and the Bucks, it it shows that this team has the right the right pieces there. It's just a matter of them figuring out how to make sure they all show up on a nightly basis and how to how to get them to to coexist forever. For the longest time, I swear to God, anytime Andrew Wiggins had a good game, Kelly Oubre had a bad game, and anytime Kelly Oubre had a good game, Andrew Wiggins would have a bad game, and it's like. Okay, but if you guys could play good on the same night, you guys would actually have a shot. And then they started to figure that out. And and that's what they need to keep doing. What is the perception of the Jazz over there? Warriors' view here is the Steph thing. It it frightens people in Salt Lake City. (laughs) What is the perception of the Jazz now that they're top of the league, number one in the West, and one of those teams that potentially be on the end of that play-in tournament? I mean, I think the the respect for the Jazz is growing. I don't know if it's at the tip top where people say, well, we totally fear them. And I think that that's just over the years of the Jazz being one of those teams that was always just right there on the cusp, but never quite took that next step over the line. And now that they finally are taking it over the line, it's, it's, I don't think it's necessarily like hit people yet. I, I think people had a lot of, thoughts heading into this season of, well, the Lakers are going to be number one again because of what they did last season. The Clippers are going to figure it out and be one and two. And then the Nuggets were really good. So they're going to be right there in, in the three spot. And now it's it's completely shifted where it's the Jazz and the Suns. And I think people are still kind of saying, well, no, the Lakers are suffering a lot of injuries right now. And now the Nuggets are suffering injuries, the Clippers, whatever's going on with them. When it comes to Rudy Gobert and um, Donovan Mitchell, I think the respect is there. And I think particularly Donovan got that last season in the playoffs against the Nuggets in that first, in that first round. And Rudy has always had that respect because he's always been such a great defensive player. Him and Draymond have, you know, been one and two in those defensive players of the years or in that conversation a lot of times. So those two players have definitely have have that respect and that notoriety and I think now it's just people understanding that you know the 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 Jazz they have good names on their team but maybe not names that people are like shouting from the rooftops but the thing that people need to see is the depth that they have because they just have really good players all the way down and I you know that's something that that people are are starting to to realize and garner and and people know how big this game will be and how 
you know, yeah, the Warriors probably don't have a shot. And if they could pick up this Jazz game, that would just be a, you know, a bonus for them. So I think from that standpoint, they understand, okay, the Jazz are definitely better than the Warriors and, and they have a shot, but, but in terms of standings and them being at the top of the West, even though it's been all season long, um, there might be some, oh, well, it's because of this or because of that. That has nothing to do with how actually the Jazz are playing. They still need to get Donovan back, but that's coming around the corner once he, he gets through that injury that he has. Last, and I'll get you out on this just because you started out uh, with that team that you mentioned, Jokic. What has flipped the switch with him to where he's playing at this level, an MVP <laughs> level, and he should win the award this year? I agree with that statement. I think he's my favorite to win. And I don't know, you know, Jokic has always been one of those guys that I felt he, he does have a switch to flip. You'd see it in some games last season um, because I'll speak to last season because that's the only year that I was really in Denver and a little bit the season, but last season, you know, there'd be times where maybe he wasn't quite showing up in that first half early on. Then he sees that his team is struggling. He is one of those guys that can just say, okay, flip takeover in the second half because his team needs him to um this year it's been that to a whole other level I mean you look at the injuries that the the Nuggets are facing right now Jamal Murray's out indefinitely Monte Morris it looks like he'll be making a return soon through his social media hyping himself up every day saying you know it's coming it's coming it's coming but then you have Will Barton PJ Dozier just got injured and, that, and that's a lot. And yet the Nuggets have not dropped off their production at all. And that is because of Nicole Jokic. And I think that really shows, like, if that's not an MVP, a guy who four of his best guards get injured and they have, they still aren't like losing a lot. I mean, that's, that's exactly what it means, right. To be, to be a most valuable player. But the way, you know, I don't know if Michael Malone said something to him of how he wants him to approach this season because Nikola Jokic is such a laid back person. You know, it's, it's pretty incredible. And I think we all knew that he could take over games, but to see him do it at this level is, is, is pretty incredible. Was it coming when you were in preseason? Could you tell that something was happening with Nikola that he was he was jumping up to this level? Yeah, I mean the first for that first month he was he was right there. And when I was there it was interesting because the Nuggets for that first month of the season were actually kind of struggling to find any consistency. It's actually kind of similar to what had been going on with the Warriors for the majority of the season, but the Nuggets figured it out where they would win some and then lose some, then they lost some that they should have definitely won. Um, and then they get embarrassed by teams that they're supposed to be competitive with. And, and so it was very strange. And, and Nicola was the guy during that stretch where it's like, okay, we really like, we should be beating this team by 20 points. Okay. Nicola, just go out there and give us 10 extra points really fast. Just like, you know, boost us up and stuff. Um, but, but it, it was, it wasn't, the team that I covered at the start of the season is not the same team that is playing right now. And this is the team that we all expected them to be coming off of that bubble run. We expected them to be playing at this level. And it's interesting because a lot of people thought that this was going to be Jamal Murray's breakout year. You know, he had that incredible battle with Donovan Mitchell 
in, in the first round, then he went on and still cared, like, you know, really willed that team through the, through the round against the Clippers in the playoffs. And everyone said, you know, he's going, you know, most improved player candidate for, for this season, just because of what he accomplished in the bubble. But I don't think, and I think what we knew, yeah, Jokic is going to be good because he's a good player. But I don't think anyone first saw him taking such a massive step forward as he did. I think we were more focused on Jamal, Michael Porter Jr. a little bit. And it just goes to show, you know, I am feel very fortunate that I've been able to cover Jokic and then Steph Curry because I think those were two players where it's like, okay, yeah, they've, they're really, really good. How much better can they be? And then it's like a hold my beer moment. And they say, let me, well, let me show you how much better I can actually be, which is what we saw with Steph in April. And then Nicola, you know, since January, pretty much. I think the lesson here is you want Kendra to be covering your team because <laughs> that means somebody's going to go off. It, it, don't know who yet, but me, somebody's going to go off. I, you know, when I, the first game that I covered for NBC sports was when the Warriors beat the Lakers. That was my first day on the job. And I was like, well, I'm not saying that it's because I'm here, but you guys can give me credit if you want to. <laughs> How was Gonzaga when you were at school? Oh man, that was, that, that was amazing. Like, I mean, come on, that was so fun. And it was so fun to, to cover it as a, as a student and journalist, but then also get to experience certain moments as a fan. Um, I, I got to experience their final four run in 2016 as a fan, which was incredible. Um, I was a sophomore that year and there was four seniors who were older than me who were part of the school paper. So they said, you know, we're going to go to the final four. And I said, you know, that's fair. I'm more than happy to watch it as a fan from, from campus. Um, and that was just incredible and, and getting to know Mark Few and and some of the players on that team you know Nigel Williams Goss who spent time with the Jazz was you know he is such a great person so I was super excited it was funny I because I interned at the Salt Lake Tribune the the summer that Nigel got drafted by the Jazz and so that was that was 2017 yeah and so that was really fun when he showed up in Salt Lake City and I was there he's like what are you doing here? Um, but no, I mean, that was so fun. And, and I, my favorite, my favorite story from covering, covering the, the Zags as a, as a student was, um, it was my freshman year, I think. And they just lost to a team that I think they should have won, or maybe they won, but not by a lot. And Mark Few wasn't very happy. And I was talking to one of the players in the hallway because Gonzaga, you have locker room access, which I guess isn't very common for, for college athletics. Yeah. Um, but the, the door has a code on it. So you, if you don't know the code, you can't get in. So the SID opens the door less than But I was talking to someone in the hallway and I saw the door starting to close. I was like, oh my gosh, I have to go. I'm going to get locked out. And I like sprinted down the hall and I was wearing these high heel shoes and I sprinted out of the hall. And Mark Few comes around the corner and he goes, see if my team had any kind of hustle like that, we would have won. And then he looked down and he's like, and you're in high heels, just unacceptable, unacceptable on our front. <laughs> and that was, that was the moment that Mark Few met me, knew who I was from there. There you on. go. There um, you go. But yes, disappointed that we didn't get it this year, but I have no doubts that they'll, they'll make it, make it back. Apparently they're already the favorites, which I'm like, how, does that happen 20 seconds after 
the season ends, you guys already have your list of champion favorites, but I'll take it. <laughs> and, and potentially a top five pick. Jalen yes. Suggs, he's been amazing. Suggs, he is. You know, I I haven't, I didn't get to watch him very much this season, unfortunately, except for, for some of those bigger games. And then, of course, that UCLA dagger, which my mom went to UCLA. So that was Oh, very the family fun. <laughs> di divided. The family was divided. Well, it was really my mom versus me, my sister, and my dad. Um, we were all in our Gonzaga gear. <laughs> um, but... You know, he's people, people say he'd fit on the Warriors. And, you know, I think that he would be a good, good addition just from his game. You know, his shot is amazing. He can facilitate for himself and for others. But yeah, I mean, he, I'm really, I'm really excited to see how, how his game translates into the NBA. It'll be fun to follow and track that. And you get a little bit more satisfaction now that you're an alum of some place and you see them having success as a Syracuse guy, obviously. Uh, we're, oh my God, you guys are everywhere. <laughs> we're everywhere. I mean, we had two Final Fours when we were on I campus. No, yeah. I actually remember where I was in 2016 when Syracuse beat Gonzaga. And yeah. was it the Sweet 16 or something like that? Sweet 16, yeah. Oh man, I was eating, I was at a restaurant in Portland because my sister went to the University of Portland and it was over like Easter break or something. And we're at a restaurant, Papa something. I can't remember what it was called. And I was, we were following the game on our phones and I saw that that Josh Perkins had like missed the game winning shot. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh my God. And then they put down this fat piece of cake that we ordered. And I was like, great, I'll just eat my feeling and it'll all be okay. It's <laughs> all right. We're not you're everywhere. Like, oh my God. I like everywhere you guys are just taking over. <laughs> we call it the hashtag Newhouse Mafia. Oh, yeah. So, yes. I also deal with uh, Nick Friedel from ESPN, who's yep. a proud and loud Syracuse alum. <laughs> See, but the thing about Friedel is, unlike me, he had more time to go to games and mm -hmm. he was like the C or something. He had you, a, he had... Have you seen the picture? Oh, yeah. He, picture. <laughs> he has one of the Cuse letters on his chest. He on okay. His chest. He he wasn't sitting at the Daily Orange on press row writing away a game story. No, he was <laughs> cheering the team on. So he had more fun in college than I guess I did. That picture, we, we never we can never let that picture die. If any of these listeners haven't seen it, Google Nick Friedel Syracuse or something like that, and you'll know what we're talking about. I'll make sure that it goes out in the social post about this uh, this podcast, but goodness me Fridell, syracuse you'll see the picture it'll be the first one that's chimed up gonzaga alum warriors nbc sports bay area kendra andrews on round ball roundup on utahjazz.com kendra thank you so much for taking the time of course thanks for having me